Welcome to episode 914 of The Sleeper in the Bus. I am Justin Mason, riding solo, kind of. No Jason Collette this uh, this weekend. He has his final draft of the year because there are some people who are still apparently drafting. I don't don't know how or why, but they're still drafting. Good for them. Uh, Jason will be back next weekend, but I'm bringing in a guest, bringing in a pitch hitter, Joe Gentile. Welcome to the show, my friend. Glad to be here. Super excited. Well, I'm super excited to have you on. You and I have gotten to know each other recently. Uh, I think you do really good work, and uh, I enjoyed having you on a live stream for TGFBI. Uh, God, feels like a month ago, I guess now. Um, but remind everybody where you can reach on social media, and then plug everything that you do. All right, so you can reach me at Joe Gentile FT on Twitter. Um, I write for SB Nation's fake teams, mostly covering sleeper picks and sleepers that could be called up. And I am starting a podcast possibly sometime this next month. So I'll hopefully keep you guys updated on that. Definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. You, you got the, you got the nice mic now. You're, you're ready to go. Uh, you, you did a great job on that live stream with me. You're going to crush it. Uh, go follow Joe. He does not have enough Twitter followers, and he is a, a really fun person to interact with on the Twitter machine. Uh, but we're going to talk about a bunch of things. We've got a bunch of kind of news, notes, things, and then it's uh, it's fab time. It's that time of year, right? So let's uh, we'll talk about some potential fab pickers, pickups, including just an absolute mess at like the relief pitcher closer situation right now where everybody I think is looking for saves uh, in the worst possible way. And there's a lot of options. We'll, we'll figure out which ones make a lot of sense. Um, let's start with uh, Christian Javier. We'll throw on Domingo Herman onto that one as well. Uh, both guys sent down to the alternate sites um, and Javier was coming off a pretty good start. Is this just a matter of teams don't need that fifth starter right now, and so they're wanting to make sure they're getting work in there and not having to pitch up the bullpen? Or do you have any concern with either of these guys? Uh, Javier, I was reading about him. It sounds like that's just the fifth starter thing with Oda Rizzi coming back um, this next week. So he's been pitch. I was surprised about how well he's been pitching with a 208 ERA and a 31.4 strikeout rate. The one thing that's kind of surprised me about him is he's always been a strikeout pitcher, but his whiff rates have not been that great. So that is something to watch. But for the most part, Javier, it just sounds like he's going down for a while just because they only need four starters and he'll probably be back up um, after that. Yeah, and I think this it's a similar situation for Ramon at least. Um, though there are some reports about the his teammates struggling with Herman and, and obviously the uh, uh, spousal abuse that he was accused of uh, and charged with uh, last year. And so it may be a matter of that that's starting to become a clubhouse issue. So I'm, I'm less concerned about Javier. Javier has been really, really good, like you said. Uh, not going deep into games yet, but, you know, the strikeouts are starting to tick up a little bit more. Um, and it hasn't come at the cost of anything. So uh, I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, if Javier gets dropped in a league, would you pick him up? Um, depends on how my lineup is set up. We were just talking before this about injuries, and right now a lot of my teams have Sonny Gray and 
I'm holding Logan Gilbert types. Um, that would be interesting. Would you drop Logan Gilbert for Javier? I probably, I probably would go ahead and do that because Javier will probably be up sooner. But I, I'm, if you're not holding, if you're one of the lucky ones that doesn't have anyone injured or you're not holding on to anyone, then I think Javier could be a good pickup for you. It's just um, probably all dependent. You got to play the matchups. You got to make sure your roster is constructed the right way to where you're not throwing um, a Adrian Morhone against the Dodgers. Just make sure your lineup's structured. But if you can have that bench spot filled up, go ahead and get Javier in those leagues. Yeah, I think if Javier got dropped, man, the Logan Gilbert question is, that's tough, right? Because we, we all know that Logan Gilbert's one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. We expect him to be up, what, sometime at the end of April, early May, once they gain the extra year service time. But we never know what we're going to get out of a rookie pitcher, right? I mean, especially a guy who, because of last year, like hasn't pitched in games outside of spring training in almost two years. So I think like Javier is a guy that I was out on coming into the year, largely because he was a two-pitch guy. Uh, that was what led to kind of the spike at homers that we didn't see in the minors. Um, but he's actually throwing his curveball 15% of the time so far. Now, these are obviously through two starts. It's only like eight and a third innings. Um, but that is like a drastic change from a guy who only threw it 3% of the time last year. He actually threw his changeup uh, 7% of the time last year, and he's kind of abandoned that so far early on. Um, because it was just so poor last year, uh, and started moving, you know, the the curveball usage up. If he can continue to do that, I think his stuff will continue to play well. I mean, he's obviously a good uh, command and control guy uh, normally, so I think he if he gets dropped in a league, yeah, I think I would drop Logan Gilbert for him. Yeah, that was a hard question for me because I don't. It's one of those kind of fifty fifty things where. Maybe I'll drop him in some leagues, and then other leagues I'll hold on to him and see what works best. But, yeah, Javier's command, I don't know if you've ever looked at his minor league walk numbers, but he was walking like 12% of batters in the minor leagues, and then he came up in the majors and 8%. That's really, if he keeps that 8%, I think he's going to be deadly. Yeah, I don't know if he can, but, um, I mean, he, he's a guy that has always graded out better in command than I think he's shown uh, in the minor leagues. And so like, I know Tim McLeod who is, you know, a good buddy of mine, but also really good with the minor leagues and stuff. He was all over Javier when it came up and he was just like, you've got to go pick him up. And I was like, all right, well, I'll peel the authority a little bit right there. Um, especially cause he does such a good job of inducing weak contact. Um, you know, so when the ball is getting hit, it's not getting hit super hard, which is why he's been able to maintain like, really amazing home run rates in the minor leagues. So, um, you know, last year I think was the the sign of things like, okay, you need the third pitch to keep hitters off balance. You can't just keep going uh, fast, you know, fastball slider. Um, so if, now that he's got the curve added to it, I think there's a real chance that he could, you know, break out in a way that I didn't think was possible with that third pitch. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what Javier will continue to do this year. Yep. Someone definitely keep an eye on. Uh, Patrick Corbin uh, was activated uh, yesterday, um, and uh, 
then got lit up by the Dodgers. <laughs> so uh, that I was super excited. Patrick Corbin is a guy on a fair majority of my teams this year. And I was like, oh, sweet. Uh, unfortunately, I can't get him into my lineup. Damn. And then he got lit up. I was like, well, it's a good thing I couldn't get him into my lineup yesterday. Um, but uh, he was he was able to go four and a third, gave up six runs, six hits, three walks. It was against the Dodgers, so I think, I mean, that is a bit, uh, you know, excusable. Um, are you uh, are you comfortable with Patrick Corbin this year? I am not. Um, Corbin, he's he's been one of those guys, even when he was good, you looked at his pitch movement and stuff, and he is a lefty, so he gets a little bit more uh, room of error, but you looked at his pitch movements and stuff, and they weren't elite. I believe... Eno Soros wrote an article for the Athletics saying, talking about his slider, about how good it was and stuff. But it was someone from like Driveline was quoted and saying, when you look at Patrick Corbin's metrics on a slider, it makes you want to throw the computer across the room because it didn't have elite movement. And you look at it and you don't think it's supposed to have a 50% whiff weight on it. And last year that dropped to um, 38%. And I'm wondering if maybe it's more of a 38%, but I'm looking at yesterday's game, 54% again on that uh, on that slider. I think with Corbin, it's not really a question of velocity. It's going to be a question of, is the slider working? If that thing is what it has been the past two, three years, then Corbin is going to be a monster again. But I've got to see it before I buy back in. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I, I've been bought back in. I've got them everywhere. Like I just, <laughs> you know, there were very few guys that formerly top fifteen, top twenty starters you were getting outside of top forty. Uh, and Patrick Corbin, the only year he's really been bad outside of injury, obviously he's had some injuries in the past, um, was twenty twenty. So like, and he talked about like the ramping up and down was an issue for him, uh, and uh, and so people worried about the velocity. The velocity yesterday uh, was. Gr- j- just a smidge greater than it was last season, which means, you know, if he can continue to build on that throughout the season, he should, his velocity should be back where it was previously in 2019. Um, I, I love the fact that he was incorporating some new pitches in spring. We didn't really see them yesterday. Um, so I'll be interested to see if that changes. Uh, he, he still was pretty much fastball slider. Um, so We'll see. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I will be. I don't know whose next start is against yet, but uh, I will definitely be rolling out there next week because, like you said, all of my teams are littered with injury right now. I think everybody's team um, is littered with injury. All right, let's uh, move on over. Um, Zach Gallen uh, threw I think 67 pitches in a simulated game this last week, and now reports are he could be returning to the Diamondbacks as early as Tuesday, that'd be a start against the Reds. So first, how comfortable are you with Zach Gallen coming back this quickly? Because I think most people thought we were going to lose him for at least a month, and it sounds like we're only going to be out for two weeks. Uh, And then would you start him this week against Cincinnati? I mean, I'm not an injury guy. I think it is concerning when these guys do get pushed up a little faster than they usually do because – if I remember correctly, usually this doesn't go well for most guys that beat the timetable. But I would definitely start him against the Reds. Um, 
the big thing I think we'll have to watch in the start with Gallon is his command. I think as long as his command is there, he's going to be lights out. If his command's not there, then I think that might be um, inferring that an injury, um, that he's still not fully healthy. So I would probably, I'd throw him out there. I mean, what, Gallon, top, he could be a top 10 pitcher if he's healthy. Uh, I don't know if there's any disagreement there, but he has top 10, top 15 upside. And um, I think the big thing to watch this in the start, throw him out there if you have him and just watch that command um, and just make sure that he's still healthy. Yeah, I, um, so I love Zach Allen and I have him in way too many, on way too many teams, most of which I drafted prior to the injury, right? So, uh, but I did draft him, I think in the eighth round of my main or one of my main event teams, uh, as my third starting pitcher, um, as the news broke that he was hurt, we didn't know what, what the, the injury was yet. Um, and so I'm kind of lucking out because it ended up, uh, you know, it probably was a bad pick, uh, and that I'm just, I'm just kind of, uh, getting a little bit lucky that he's coming back, uh, sooner than, uh, we all thought he was. I, I mean, obviously a lot of teams are in the same situation that some of my teams are in, which is, uh, you've got a ton of injuries already, right? And so, uh, we've, we've, we've suffered a lot of injuries already, COVID issues, things like that. And so you may not be in a position where you can't not start him, right? So uh, if you can avoid it, you've got a reasonable option. I would probably avoid Cincinnati. Cincinnati's been one of the hottest hitting teams early in the season. Uh, we're going to talk about Tyler Naquin later. Uh, he's been insane, and when Tyler Naquin is insane on your on your actual uh, real-life team, that means everybody's going insane. So uh, I would probably try to avoid him for this first one. Um, we don't know how, long, how deep he's going to go into the game, which means he's likely not going to have as much win potential. He's on the Diamondbacks, so he definitely doesn't have a ton of win potential. I do like him long-term. There is always the concern with these kind of stress fracture injuries that they recur. Um, and that would be my biggest concern. Uh, but, uh, I don't think you have to not start them. Um, if, uh, if you don't have a, a good option or you're, you're, you don't want to obviously run out of zero out there, but, um, I think I would play it a little safe just because Diamondbacks aren't going to score a ton of runs to begin with. And then, uh, you know, my guess is he's probably not going to go five innings, um, in the first start. So chances you're going to win. Uh, that start and against a really hot offense that could, you know, take them deep a couple times just because, uh, you know, Cassianos is super hot. Mustak is hitting like 400. Tyler Naquin, you know, is, you know, already hit more home runs this season than he has his entire career. Um, so I, I think I would probably sit him this week. Yeah. And, Little side note can this just be, can we just get the NLDH already? This is oh my so God. Like, I was the I was the biggest proponent of not adding the NLDH for the longest time, and a few years ago, I finally like really sat down and thought about it, and I went, "It makes absolutely no sense that there isn't a DH in the National League. What other sport has completely different rules for conferences? Right? Could you imagine like the AFC allows extra points, but in the NFC you only can go for two? Like, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it gives 
it gives the AL an advantage once they get to the World Series. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the fact that it's determined by, like, when AL and NL face each other, like, it's determined by who's home. Like, in a, in a seven-game series, you're going to play with two different rules depending on who the home team is. It, it makes no <laughs> sense. Like, and I love, I love pitchers hitting. Not because I like seeing pitchers hit, but I love the strategy of the game, right? I love the double switches. Um, I love to see, like, you know, the the manager has to make, you know, decisions based on where a pitcher might be coming up in a lineup and things like that. Like, I do think it's a better natural game um, in terms of the strategy, but pitchers suck at hitting. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love when Madison Bumgarner hits a home run, but like, he wouldn't be a DH on any team in the American League. Like, if he couldn't pitch, like, it just, it just wouldn't happen. Like, no pitcher outside of Shohei Otani um, is good enough to like hit full time. Uh, you know, unless unless they actually you know develop that skill over time. So, um, yeah, no, let's uh, let's. Hopefully this is the last season. I really thought they'd get it worked out this year, but um, yeah, hopefully this is the last year of the, the <laughs> no DH in the National League. You uh, Darvish kind of tortured you there too to start the season. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, I hate you know Jimmy Nelson's career was ruined by having to run the bases, and we've seen other pitchers get hurt. Like like there's no like. I would if if I was a manager in the National League, I would tell my pitcher, "Do not swing. Just go up there and and get get you know three strikes, and then just move it along. Like I wouldn't let them bunt. I wouldn't let them swing of the bat or swing the bat. Like just just take the out and get back to the dugout so we can put you on the mound where you belong." <laughs> I completely agree. Um, all right, last uh, piece of news. Uh, we've got is Brent Honeywell. He's going to make his major league debut today. Uh, a bit surprising that the Rays would even bring him up, considering uh, you know his kind of prospect pedigree and stuff like that, and whether they want to start his clock. Uh, he's going to open, so I don't think he's fantasy relevant necessarily right this moment. What are your thoughts on Brent Honeywell? Yeah, that was someone when I first thought I was like, oh, I get to go at him, and he's going to be like an amazing start pitcher. And then I was like, well, um, I don't think his matchup is favorable. And also I don't see him going a lot of innings. I mean, if he goes, I'm assuming he'll probably go around three innings is my guess, maybe one, one and a half times through the lineup. Um, but I'm excited to see what the readings on his pitches are. I want to see the movement on his changeup Cause I've heard that's amazing. I want to see the curveball cutter fastball. I'm, I'm excited to see all these readings on the pitch movements and, this is a guy that he was probably what a top five pitcher, top five pitching prospect in baseball, and he has the potential to put up a mid three ZRA, get you a mid to high twenty K rate, and get ground balls. He's he's gonna be very impressive. I just I don't think the start is gonna be you're gonna want to throw him out there for the start, but it's gonna be something to watch. And just see how he's doing, where's the velocity's at, and as I said, I'm going to be so excited to see the pitch movements on those changeups. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what he looks like. I mean, we haven't seen much of Honeywell because of injuries, um, of you know, over the last few years. Uh, you know, I mean, he's a guy who supposedly has five legit throwable pitches. Like we're not talking about like, oh, 
he's just got this one pitch that he can throw 5% of the time because it's garbage. Like, he's got five pitches he could throw at any point um, and pretty good command. It'll all be the command because he, he nothing he does is overpowering, right? He doesn't have that one, like, pitch where you go, oh, that slider or, uh, you know, or that changeup like that. Oh, that's an amazing... It, but it's five, like, above-average pitches with above-average command. So, um, like, I think he is a guy that... Uh, I don't know that he's ever going to be, like, a fantasy stud, in terms of a pitcher, but like probably a fantasy three, four starter once he's actually allowed to start full time. I wonder how quickly that happens. I think a lot of people are going to blow some fab this weekend and it won't be me. Like I'm not going to be picking up Brent Honeywell because I don't think he's ever going to go deep enough or at least through the first half of the season, go go deep enough into a game where he qualifies for a win. And guys like that rarely end up on my roster. They've got to be pretty elite at something else in order for them to end up on my rosters. You know who else has five good pitches and good command? Oh, God. Zach Allen. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I was like, I don't know where he's going with this one. I was scared. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think, like, Honeywell could be a Zach Gallon-esque pitcher at some point in his career. I don't know if he's quite, got quite that ceiling, yeah. but... Like, the beauty of a guy like Zach Gallen isn't so much his ceiling. Like, Zach Gallen's never going to be the best pitcher in baseball. Like, it's just, or the best pitcher in fantasy, right? But I feel pretty comfortable. It's like, I know I'm going to get at least a top 30 starter out of Zach Gallen if he's healthy. Um, which is something you can't say after you get past certain guys, right? Um, so, like, I think Honeywell is kind of the same kind of guy. Like, I don't think Honeywell is ever a top 20 starter. But once he's actually throwing five, six inning starts, I feel pretty comfortable to say he'll finish as a top 50 guy. Um, the question is, coming off of all the injuries, playing in Tampa Bay especially, I don't know that he's going to be that guy until maybe the end of the season or if they're forced to because of injury. Well, my take with Honeywell and the reason I'm not probably going to pick him up is I think I forget in the in the off season. I think I counted the Rays had sixteen starting pitchers that could come up in the major leagues. And my guess is he's going to come up. He's going to start a little bit, and then they're probably going to send him down. And they can call up a Josh Fleming, a Shane McMahon, McMahon, you know who I'm trying to say, Luis Patino, and Trevor Richards, Joe Ryan. I mean, they got so many guys they can go to that I think we're going to see a lot of Rays guys. I mean. How many race pitchers this year do you think get over 100 innings? Uh, over 100 innings? Uh-huh. I mean, Glass now will. Um, I mean, as long as Glass now is healthy, like that's always the concern with a guy like Glass now. Rich Hill, because as long as he's healthy, because they'll just let him go because they don't care about his workload. Ryan Yarbrough, and then maybe <laughs> Michael Walker. Um, like I, I can see the argument to say that like, there's a chance they don't have a hundred inning pitcher this year. Um, I, it, it, because of injury. Um, you know, all all of their guys, you know, have had injury issues or or real performance issues. I feel pretty comfortable. Glass now is going to get there. I feel pretty comfortable. Yarbrough is going to get there. I feel somewhat comfortable Hill and Waka will get there if they're healthy. Um, 
but that's it. Like, I don't know. Like, you're right. Like, their their minor leagues are so stacked with talent that they could just rotate these pitchers up and down. You know, Luis Patino, Shane McClanahan, Josh Fleming. I'm surprised Fleming's not up uh, at this point. Um, you know, Trevor Richards, like, he, he's a useful a usable commodity as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm not super comfortable with any, a, a lot of them getting to hundred innings. Yeah. I don't know what Josh Fleming did to the race for him to still be down. Had an amazing year and has a, I love his sinker. He's one of my guys, but I yeah. don't know. Um, I don't know either. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was very surprised that I thought they sent him down mostly because they didn't really need a fifth starter early. So the fact that, He's not the first guy up um, with Chris Archer going down. And maybe this is a situation where Brent Honeywell comes up for the weekend. He pitches today, goes back down, and then they bring Fleming back up when they're ready for that next starter on April 15th. Could be true. Good point. All right. Let's talk some fab. Uh, We've got a bunch of guys that, um, that I think are interesting pickups this week. Uh, most of them are kind of hot bats, uh, but these are the guys that are the recently been most added in other leagues, and so I thought we'd uh, kind of talk about them. Let's start with just a whole crap ton of closer candidates, okay? So you've got Yimmy Garcia in Miami with Anthony Bass uh, struggling. So Garcia came in and, and got the save yesterday. Corey Knable has two saves already. Um, and was brought in instead of Jansen uh, recently in a game. Uh, Kendall Graveman is uh, been pitching lights out, and Rafael Montero struggling. Emmanuel Classe got a save, I think it was yesterday, uh, and people are getting really excited there. Jesse Hahn has gotten a save. Looks like garbage when he's uh, <laughs> otherwise, but he's gotten a save, and people are like, well, Hahn may be the ne- next man up if Greg Holland struggles. And then Chris Devensky goes, gets a save, um, and then is automatically put on the restricted list. We haven't had any information, so people are thinking that Kevin Ginkle and Stefan Crichton uh, might be the next guy up in Arizona. So I'm just going to throw it to you like this. Out of this group, who are you interested in picking up, and how aggressive would you be? Oh, Class A would be my favorite one out of this group because I think he's – by far, probably the best pitcher of this group. Um, I got him last week when the Julian Merriweather fab run went. Uh, Class A was somehow on the waiver wire, so I got him for like 120, 140. Um, and that's looking pretty good right now. I'm excited about that. Um, Yemi Garcia, I think, with Bass's struggle this season, I think he is the guy, the closer. Um, only thing concerning with him is that fly ball rate, but... He plays in a really good park that um, keeps home runs in the park. So I would be comfortable getting Garcia fab-wise. How much? How comfortable would you feel going for Garcia? 120, 140? I, I think I, it probably depends. I think he's he's my number one pickup of the week. So, like, I mean, definitely, if, if we're talking about, like, straight skills, obviously Class A would be the guy. I'm not super um, comfortable yet to say that Class A is the guy in Cleveland. I think this is going to be uh, matchups based. 
Uh, I think there are going to be times where Class A comes in the seventh. So, like, I am going after Class A, and I'm going to be pretty aggressive. But that's largely because I've got Whitgren on virtually every team, and I'm just trying to pair those two up because I think those are the two that are going to lead uh, the Indians in saves. I don't think there's necessarily an Indians pitcher that's going to get 20 saves, though, um, unless somebody gets hurt. Um, I don't think that anybody's necessarily going to become the guy unless someone becomes, you know, becomes awful or gets injured. So Garcia is the guy, I think the guy right now. Now this could definitely go back to Bass, right? Bass has really struggled uh, early on, um, had that weird situation where he got hit on the elbow or sorry, hit Conforto on the elbow, but Conforto's elbow is actually over the plate um, to blow the game. Uh, I think they'll give it back to Bass if Bass gets right. But right now, Bass doesn't look right. Garcia looks good. Um, and it, it appears he's going to be the guy or the main guy, at least moving forward. So Garcia's the guy that I would be most likely to go after this weekend. Um, and then Claus A... And then I think it's Stefan Crichton in Arizona. That's hard. Uh, either way, I think Soria gets a shot at getting the, the gig back once he's off the injured list. But I'm... I mean, it could be Ginkle, too. Like, the, the Arizona situation's a mess because how many games do we really expect him to win? And if that turns into a committee, do you want anybody? Yeah, I don't... I was looking at the Diamondbacks when you gave me this list, and I was like, who do the Diamondbacks have? And I just kind of threw up my arms and said, I don't know. I, Ginkle, I think Ginkle probably, he might be the best arm in the bullpen, but he has struggled with command at times. So I don't I don't know if teams like having a closer that you know has poor command and can walk the bases or leave a pitch over the plate, but I would say Ginkle's probably the best. Crichton, we've we've seen Crichton closer than before, if I'm correct, from last year. Yeah, yeah, he, he was yeah. their closer, and he he pitched really well in the role. Like, and so if the Diamondbacks kind of go with the idea that, um, you know, we want the proven guy of the three, so you know, throw Taylor Clark in there as well. Crichton's the one that has shown that he can be the guy at points, um, whereas Ginkle and Clark have yet to do that. I think that um, JB Bukowskis is an interesting guy long term there, um, but he's not on he's not on the twenty six man ro- uh, roster right now. So clearly he's not being given a shot. Uh, so I think Crichton is the guy for right now. Bukakis maybe is the guy for later. Yeah, I agree with that. Bukakis is the guy. If he was up right now, I'd probably say he might be the closer. But um, Crichton's kind of just that. I was looking at it yesterday. He's just low K rate, decent ground ball rate, but not elite. And he's just kind of that boring guy, but probably someone, you know, you can throw it in at the ninth and at least know what you're getting. Um, and and what what Corey Knable's an interesting one, too. Um, I, I think he's the first man up. It's... Um... A little surprising considering the money that they gave uh, to Blake Trinan, right? They they gave they signed Trinan to a uh, a two year deal. They gave him some decent cash. Um, Knable was virtually free for them. 
Um, but he has looked really, really good um, so far. And he's been the guy they've gone to when, you know, the, the one time that Jansen wasn't available. And then even when Jansen was available. Um, so it feels like that Knable would be next man up. I know that people think that Jansen has a long leash. And I somewhat agree with that. But they also weren't super comfortable about going to him in the World Series because of his struggles in the postseason last year. And this is the last year of his deal. So I could see them deciding, hey, we just need to go with whoever's best right here. And if it's Knable, then Jansen pitches out of the eight. Yeah, I will say um, I was watching the Dodgers game last night and it was, I think it was seven to three. Alexander gave up a hit. They let him, he finished the game, but the person they had warming up in the ninth was Canley Jansen. And I think Dave Roberts said that um, the game before that is when I believe Knable got one of the saves. And I think Roberts said that that day they knew they were not going to use Jansen. That was his rest day. Um, but yeah, the Dodgers, they have so many good arms in that bullpen. Uh, if Bruce Starr comes back, uh, you got Jansen, you got Trinan. They have so many. I mean, Jimmy Nelson isn't even a bad bullpen arm. That's a pretty good bullpen. But with Knable, our favorite thing we like to see, picks and exchange. He's throwing that curveball over 50% of the time, and it is working for him this year. Um, and I'll be interesting to see how that goes because we know last – or. Yeah, that was Jake McGee last year when they had him throw the fastball like 100% of the time, and it worked for him. So I'm wondering if they saw something with that curveball and just said, hey, Corey, your curveball's amazing. Just throw that thing as much as you can. Yeah. And, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I do think Jansen's still the guy there. And I think he they, he does have a, a decent leash there. But if injuries, which have happened with, with Jansen, um, or just performance gets him out, like, I think Knable could be like a top – 10 top 15 closer if he had that role in LA um and so for that reason I'm gonna be grabbing him in a few leagues especially where I'm like desperate for saves and there are a few leagues like that where it's like hey I drafted Archie Bradley early and I drafted uh Anthony Bass those were my two closers or I drafted (laughs) Trevor Rosenthal um and it's like, okay, now I have zero saves, and there's, you know, 15-team league, there's nothing on the wire. Those those kind of leagues, I'm going to be grabbing, you know, Corey Knable off the wire. Another guy I'll be trying to grab off the wire, too, in those kind of situations is Kendall Graveman. Um, I think he's next man up, and Rafael Montero has struggled this year. Any interest in Graveman? You know... If this was last year, I would have said you're crazy. Why am I talking about Kendall Graveman? But he looks kind of interesting this year. Um, I think I believe his uh, fastball is up uh, two miles an hour right now. Um, his slider, I never realized his slider is actually a really good pitch, and he is throwing it more now. He's throwing it 25% of the time. So throwing that, that added below and that slider – um, the up and usage and slider usage. I mean, he could actually start missing some bats. I don't think he's going to come out and strike out, like have a 30% strikeout rate. But, you know, if he had a 25% strikeout rate, I, I think he could be pretty good. Um, there are some things to watch. Uh, the velo, as I said, did go up. But 
I think we're going to see more Ks, but we might see a little bit more walks as well. And with those, with the pits makes change as well, we might see a little bit less ground ball. So he might just be a completely different pitcher from here on out. But he is very, the changes he's made this season make him very interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of reinvented himself a little bit as a reliever, right? He was kind of this soft tossing guy as a starter that didn't get very many strikeouts, um, you know, and and uh, until that season in 2018 where he dealt with injuries and stuff, um, like he was he was pretty homer prone too for the most part. Like, right, he was maybe a homer per nine kind of was the guy you were gonna see. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's kind of changed the picks mix, and we see this, right? Guys go to the bullpen and they get a tick or two on the fastball, and that's been really effective for him. So uh, he's a guy that I think would be the next man up because that that bullpen isn't very good um, in Seattle. Uh, I I think Montero's gonna hold this job for a little bit, but. If you're look, if you're in a in a deep league situation where you're really desperate for saves and stuff, I think next man up is um, is Graveman, and he's a guy that uh, could be effective in the role until Seattle trades him. Because I think Seattle probably trades both Montero and Graveman at the deadline if they're pitching well. Yeah, and then it's guys like then I'd watch Anthony Micey Wicks and uh, Andres Munoz as well. Those could be interesting guys just to watch when that happens. Yeah, Munoz is a guy, if he's healthy, is, I think could get the role half, uh, halfway through the season. So, All right, let's. Uh, that's kind of all the closers, right? <laughs> Just throw them into one big pile. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Uh, well, before we move on, so is is Classe your number one and then Garcia number two out of this group? Yeah, they're, they're both pretty close. Probably in that um, where I'd be willing to spend in fab, probably depending on your team needs, obviously. They're in that, you know, 100 to, I don't want to say 200, but 100 to 160, I, range. I think if you're desperate, you can go 200. Um, if you're really in a situation where, oh, I, you know, let's say you lost Anthony Bass, like, or, I mean, you still have him, but um, you need to replace him because obviously he's not not the closer. Like, I would go 200 plus on, on Garcia, and I don't mind going 200 plus on Class A. I think it's very league dependent too, right? So we're obviously we're talking about a thousand dollar fab. So if you're playing a hundred dollar fab league, then um, you know adjust accordingly. It'd be you know twenty thirty bucks. Um, I don't like spending triple digits early unless I'm getting I'm filling a huge need or I'm getting what I feel is a game changer. Um, and if you are struggling for saves and one of these guys are on your waiver wire then that fills a huge need, right? And potentially could be a game changer for your team. So if you're in that kind of situation, then I'm looking at like, okay, I'm willing to spend that kind of money. If you're not, then, you know, maybe you try to sneak him in for under triple digits. But I think there's going to be one person in every league that needs a closer really badly. Uh, as far as the other guys, you know, I'm uh, three, four percent of your fab, 30, 40 bucks in a thousand dollar league something like that is, is kind of what i'd be looking at all right cole calhoun's coming off the il uh or i believe came off the il uh he's gonna be a big pickup because a lot of people a lot of leagues he wasn't drafted in any special salary formats uh he might lead off for arizona um or at least hit a very high up in the order uh how interested are you in cole calhoun it's interesting cole calhoun is one of those 
I guess you could call him just the boring compiler guy. We never, at the end of any draft season, we're never like, oh, sweet. Yeah, look at Cole Calhoun's awesome season he got me. But he's someone that, um, and I know the average has been up and down through the years, but I kind of consider him more of a 240, 250 um, type hitter. Um, he's going to probably get you 30 home runs, and he can get you 90 runs, 80 RBIs. Um, and your teams need that. I think sometimes we look up all upside um, like some of the next guys on our list. These are big upside plays, but Calhoun is giving you a safe counting stat floor um, with a question. I mean, ca- questionable batting average. I'll say that, but he's pretty safe when it comes to someone you can get off fab. Um, and I'd, I'd be slightly interested depending on how my outfield looks. Um, probably. I mean, there's, there's really not much to him. He just, it's home run, compiles those stats up for you. Yeah, he's exactly that, right? Because he's a really good defender. Like, so yeah. he's he's not gonna sit. Like, they're gonna he's gonna play every day, um, as long as he's healthy, uh, and probably hit twenty home runs, steal a handful of bases, maybe like sixty five runs, RBIs type thing. You know, considering he's already missed the first two weeks, probably gonna hit two thirty. Um, so like. If that like it's it's a super super unsexy stat line, but at the end of the season you go oh, okay, he didn't win me my league, but I wouldn't have won my league without a guy like him, um, you know, as my fourth fifth outfielder type thing. So uh, obviously in on base percentage leagues he takes a little bit of bump up. Uh, he's a guy who's kind of walked at a double digit rate pretty much the last five seasons, uh, and so and he's gonna hit high like he's gonna hit high in this Diamondbacks lineup likely going to be leading off especially with Kettle Marte gone they need something at the top of that lineup so um, yeah I kind of boring but I'm okay with boring not every pick needs to be like the home run pick right so you need these guys that are glue guys for your roster uh, and I think that's what Cole Calhoun is yep uh, Akil Badu there's a home run pick right <laughs> I mean this was uh, you know, for those who didn't know about Akil Badu prior to this uh, season, this was a former top prospect. He was like a top 50 prospect for the Minnesota Twins, dealt with injuries um, and contact issues in the minors. Uh, the Twins decided not to put him on the 40-man roster, get selected in the Rule 5 uh, by the Tigers, uh, and he is just crushing it right now. His triple slash right now is 313, 353, 813 slug, two home runs of stolen bases. There's power, there's speed. There's also a lot of strikeout potential here. What are your thoughts on Badu? Do you think this is legitimate uh, and that he could find himself in everyday playing time? Oh, Badu is one of those guys, obviously huge upside, but the floor is, I, I wouldn't say the floor is him playing in the minor leagues because I don't think they'll let him go because then they have no some yeah yeah he, he's gonna but be on the roster the floor is him being on the bench for ultimately the whole season but right now the way he's hitting i think they have to play him i am concerned if he starts to cool down about his playing time because they have a lot of outfielders that i think need to get some playing time in that outfield um but he does he offers 2020 upside he has good plate discipline i'm gonna throw out a name 
and this might not excite you, but when I was looking at his contact rate, his contact rate reminded me of Tyler O'Neill on his rookie season. He has a 58.6% contact rate. That is, that is worse than Joey Gallo. If he, he's doing great, and I'm not going to knock him right now, but if he's going to continue hitting like he is, there's no way a 58.6% contact rate is going to allow him to do that. He's got to start making more contact. And that's, I think that's just been the big thing against Badu when he was coming up in the minor leagues. We knew the potential, but is he going to make enough contact to stick in an everyday lineup? Um, and that's really, besides that, I mean, the skills, the raw skills are amazing. I think we all can agree on that, but is he going to get make the contact to stick in the lineup? It's going to be really hard for him. Um, here's the thing. Like, I, I like Badu, and I, I think that he should be rostered in every league. But that doesn't mean he needs to be rostered on your team, right? So, like, he's got a ton of upside. He is a 2020 potential bet. Like, if you go look at the projection systems over at Fangraphs, they all have him from any, like, about 11 to 13 home runs, anywhere from 6 to 11 stolen bases. But those are all in half seasons, right? So we're talking 71 to 87 games. So you project that out to a full season, and you're looking at a guy who's probably like 18-18, right? They all project him for like a 210 to 230 average. Um, And that's for a reason. Like he has struck out at the minor leagues, you know, in high A with the Twins, he struck out 30% of the time. Uh, you know, in low A, struck out 25% of the time. Uh, and you, like you said, you look at the contact rates, you look at the O swing, and they're disastrous. Like, this is very much um, potentially like Bobby Dahlbeck area of swing strike rate, of O swing, um, of contact percentage, which can work out really well in short stretches, right? We saw it with Bobby Dahlbeck in spring training, in in 2020 where he just yeah he struck out a crap ton of the time but when he wasn't striking out he was hitting bombs but do could do that it seems less likely he'll be able to maintain that kind of production over the course of a full season without giving you a you know 230 210 batting average that being said the tigers aren't winning anything if he if he's hitting i think they're gonna let him hit um but the moment he starts to cool down, like you said, there's too many other mouths to feed. And those mouths that Detroit wants to feed uh, on that team are tradable assets. They're not trying to trade Badu, right? Like, he's they, they want to find out if he's part of the future or not. They want to trade the older guys on this team. Uh, and so they need to give those guys playing time so they have trade value at the deadline. So, like, I think Badu is someone people are going to blow a lot of fab on, or probably already have blown a lot of fab on in some leagues, um, that ends up losing plate appearances and gets dropped, and then people are going to want to pick him up in August and September after Detroit picks up, uh, you know, trades off some of those tradable assets. So, he's not, he's a guy that I'll put some kind of, what I like to call token bids on. So, it's, uh, you know, kind of keep you honest bids. So, like, uh, you know, I'm not going to blow 10 or 20% of my fab. It's not triple digit in a thousand, you know, fa- uh, dollar fab league. But I'll throw 25 bucks, you know, out of a thousand. So, two, three percent 
just to make sure nobody's sneaking them for less than that. Um, because maybe there's a you know a whole league that feels kind of like me. But ultimately, I want to I want to bid the amount that I'm comfortable dropping in two weeks because there's a chance that yes, he's hitting 300 right now. He could hit 100 the next two weeks, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. I completely agree. I, I think um, I think we could see something like Luis Robert and um, Kyle Lewis last year, where they mm-hmm. start off super hot. We're all talking about, them, and then once the league kind of gets more video and gets to know them more, they you kind of see them start to struggle. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a great, uh, great kind of comps. Like I don't think he's got quite the upside of a Robert or even a Kyle Lewis, but I think he definitely has kind of that boomer bust nature to him. Uh, and the reason why I didn't draft Robert or Kyle Lewis this year, because I, I just don't, I don't like that kind of profile going as high as they were going. Speaking of that kind of profile, uh, Tyler Naquin has reappeared. Um, I wasn't, I mean, I was obviously being hyperbolic when I said he's got as many home runs this year as he's had his entire career. But I mean, this is a guy with a thousand, over a thousand career plate appearances um, and 36 total home runs. He's got five of that 36 in the first eight games of the season. Um, he's absolutely murdering the ball. Uh, he, right now, he's walking at a double digit rate, striking out less than 20% of the time, hitting 333, uh, 438, 926 slug. Um, also has a stolen base in there. I think he's going to lose playing time now that Jesse Winker is back. But he, it's clear he has leapfrog um, Arrestes Aquino um, and is at least uh, going to find himself in some sporadic playing time. Would you pick up Tyler Naquin? Oh, you're messing with me. Um, I was ex- I was actually excited about Naquin last year um, because... He does have some legitimate changes since 2019. If you look at the fly ball rate, it's way down. The fly he's hitting, I mean, the fly ball fly ball rate is way up. The ground ball rate is way down. He's hitting more fly balls. The dude makes hard contact. He's always pretty much made hard contact, except for 2017 in his 40 at bats. But he he has a 90 mile an hour exit velocity, 43 percent hard contact rate. I don't think there's, I think Naquin, this is, okay, well, he's not going to be on like a 70 home run pace, but <laughs> I, there, I think the player, I'm not super surprised Naquin has started off hot. I think this is a guy that can hit 25 home runs and post a decent, decent average. He's always been able to drive the ball. We've seen improvements in fly ball rate. He hits the ball hard. My fear is, and you touched on this, is, where is the playing time coming from? Who is sitting? You got Senzel, um, you got Winker, Aquino, Naquin. A- Akiyama is hurt right now, but he's going to be back at some point. You got all these people, and you have nowhere to play them. Um, I think uh, this is another reason we need the NLDH so we can get Tyler Naquin some at bats. <laughs> um, but no, I actually I like his profile. I just don't know where he's going to play or who's going to sit. I think in Cincinnati, I don't think they're going to sit Naquin right now because he's so hot. I think we probably see, you know, maybe Senzel, Winker, all those guys will probably be filtered in and out um, if if it continues like this. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think right now they're going to figure out ways to get him in the lineup, right? So he's just, he's, he's crushing the ball. He's got like a 76% hard hit percentage right now, um, which is, uh, or hard contact percentage, um, which is insane. Um, like he, he's just, he's, he's tearing the cover off the ball right now. I mean, this is not going to continue to work, right? I mean, he's still swinging over. Uh, he's still swinging outside of the zone over thirty percent of the time. Uh, swing strike rate is like sixteen percent. Um, he's not making a ton of contact. Uh, so, like at some point, the average is definitely going to drop. What's interesting is just how hard he is hitting the ball, right? I mean. Obviously, he can't continue at the rate that he is, but when he does make contact and it's decent contact, like the ball is flying, I, I do start to believe that a little bit. Um, like you said, we saw a little bit of it last year. Um, I think it's going to come at a close to 30% strikeout rate, and I think that will cost him playing time. Uh, I definitely don't buy the 12% walk rate that we've seen early on. Obviously, super small sample size, and this is part of the issue. If this hot stretch happened in August, how much would we be talking about it? Like, we probably wouldn't be talking that much. Like, we, we'd be like, oh, look, Tyler Naquin's had a hot week. Uh, he, you know, you probably missed out on all the goodness. Um, I think he should be, again, rostered in every league. Um that doesn't mean it has to be rostered on your team. Would you prefer him to Badu? Because I would. I would, yes. I, I think Naquin, Naquin is a guy, and I'm kind of starting to feel like when I write an article on these deep sleepers, what you guys need to do is wait a year and then read the article because Naquin's a guy I wrote about last year, <laughs> and I wrote about Tyler Moore uh, two years ago. So Dylan Moore? Naquin, Dylan Moore, yes. Um, and so he's a guy. He's actually interesting i just don't know what the playing time is but i would much i think badu has higher ceiling but naquin very very like safer floor yeah i i also would like to point out the quality of competition um because he's done a lot of this damage uh against the pirates and the diamondbacks he's not going to get to see all of those and we're talking about the Diamondbacks without Zach Gallen, right? Um, and I don't even know if there is a decent arm in Pittsburgh other than I, I still like Mitch Keller, but um, yeah. Hey I man, mean, you don't, you don't like Madison Bumgarner? Oh God, <laughs> man! I I love him for what he did for my Giants, right? Uh, I said this on the last episode, uh, and I've said it all throughout his time. Uh, you know, since that ATV accident, he to me is a Hall of Famer. I don't know that he'll actually be one, um, but like he's on the Mount Rushmore of Giants, right? It, you know, Willie Mays, Vita Blue, uh, Barry Bonds. I think Bumgarner's up there uh, as well. Like, um, you know, uh, but yeah, he's done. Bumgarner, Bumgarner's <laughs> done. Um, uh, all right, Neat Low. There was a contingent of people. That were part of the free Nate Low uh, kind of uh, kind of movement. They have gotten their wish. He has gone. He's been traded to Texas. He started out uh, hot this year. He even has a stolen base. On top 
of just hitting for power right now. I have not been a Nate Lowe guy, right? He's got three home runs. He's hitting 250, uh, has a stolen base, 14 RBI already, three eight games. I'm not a Nate Lowe guy. I still worry that, and we, I think we've already seen it, um, that he's got a long swing. He's going to strike out a bunch. You, you were no one else can see you except for me, right? They can't see you like pointing to yourself when I say free Nate Low. So you're a Nate Low guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on his start to the season? Oh, I love Nate Low. Um, obviously, well, actually, he's probably going to be in that 250 batting average range. Um, the con- big concern with Nate Low is obviously the 32.4 percent strikeout rate over his career. Um, but that also comes with a 75.1% contact rate. And I, if I look at his minor league numbers, his minor league strikeout rates are not that bad either. Um, so my expectation would be that we're probably going to see that strikeout rate start to lower around that mid-20s, high-20s area. And if he can get it down there, then he's very, very serviceable and should be a must-own in leagues. Um He's got great batted ball data. He can drive the ball. And as we've seen, he can just smack the ball out of the park. Um, There were concerns with him going to Texas because that park didn't play well last year. But I really, he hits the ball hard. He can drive the ball. He can hit out of the park. This is a guy that can hit 260 and put up 30, 35 home runs over a full season. Um, So it's someone that... When he was going, and I was surprised actually in NFBC leagues that his draft price didn't go up much more after he got traded to Texas. I was shocked, was, yeah. He was still going after pick 300, and I got, I think I have, out of my four teams, I have three teams with him starting in, in the lineup, so I'm pretty happy. I mean, here's the thing. like, I know it's super small sample, right? So we're talking about eight eight games. Um for, for the Rangers so far that he's played. Um, but if you go and look at his game logs, that is what Nate Lowe is, okay? And what I mean by that is, okay, first five games of the season, he has at least one or two hits in every game. He's got three home runs in total in the first five games. Last three games, he's 0 for, 0 for 4, 0 for 3, 0 for 4. Like, that is Nate, who Nate Lowe is. Like, He's going to have these stretches where, you know, when he's making contact and not swinging and missing, where he's hitting home runs, um, you know, and then he's going to have stretches where he's hitting nothing. Like, all he's doing is hitting the bench after he strikes out. So, uh, I think, and I don't think that much has changed. You look at what his swing is. It's a very long swing. Some pitchers are going to take advantage of it. I think there's obviously a place in the, uh, you know, in fantasy for him um, should, again, another one of these guys should be owned in every league. Uh, doesn't necessarily need to be on your team. Uh, I think he's probably a 240, 250 hitter with 25 to 30 home runs, which has value. And I, I don't worry about Texas, like ruining him because of how big the park is. But um, uh, I, I, I want to caution people. Um against like being like oh this guy's going to be like a 270 30 home run guy i don't it's going to come at the cost of the average which is fine if your team can absorb that all right 
Let's uh, let's move on um, and uh, talk about Kyle Isbell. He's been playing a fair amount in Kansas City, uh, a guy that I kind of uh, turned on to a little bit late because I didn't think he was going to make the team. He's got power, got speed. What are your thoughts on Kyle Isbell? Yeah, that one was kind of interesting to start the season. I don't think really many people saw Isbell breaking camp with the team, but even in the minor leagues um, and what he showed this spring, he's got some power. Um he averaged 89 miles an hour on his exit velocity in the minors, and he had a max exit velocity of 109. That's not like – that's – I'm trying to think of a player. That's not Joey Gallo numbers or anything like that, any big, big power hitters. But that's a guy – If when I see those numbers, if he can hit fly balls, he could be a 20-homer guy. But the problem with his power is he hits a lot of ground balls, and he plays in a bad park. So that number could be, you know, he could only hit 10 home runs this year, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he's got some speed. I mean, he's got that. I kind of, and I want to warn people when I give this comp, but he kind of, in a way, reminds me of Whit Merrifield. He's got some, a little bit of pop. Um, I don't think the average is there. And he's probably got a little bit less stolen base potential. But he's got some intriguing... Um, potential there i just think the ground ball rates and the bad ballpark kind of worry me a little bit but someone i'd keep an eye on um he's really struggled this season as well um he's only hitting 250 walk rate at 4.8 so i'll be curious to see what type of leash he has but someone i'm watching yeah this is a really interesting one because i mean his strikeout rate right now is like close to 50 percent which doesn't make a ton of sense considering his profile. Um, I, I mean, he's a, like, go look at his zone contact percentage. It is 95% right now. Uh, the big issue is right now he's swinging outside of the zone um, way too much, which obviously can be a problem. Um, you know, kind of maybe he's getting, getting used to, you know, major league pitching. He's never played above high A. Um, because of, you know, all the being no minor leagues last year. But this was kind of an advanced prospect, a guy that was supposed to um, have a pretty decent eye. I, I'm i interested to see what the Royals do, because the Royals, um, I think they think they are decent, and I agree that they're decent, but I don't think they're necessarily contenders this year. Um, and I could see them letting him kind of, just continue to get run even when he struggles. Right now he's in 250, no home runs, but a stolen base. I think he could be like a 15-25 guy if given full run. So he probably won't get that. So maybe he's more like a 10-18 kind of guy this year. But I think he's very interesting. And um, as long as he doesn't like get platoon, he would be strong side. Uh, I think he could be a, a, a kind of a cheap speed option with that isn't popless. You know, typically your cheap speed options are guys that like, oh, this guy's not going to hit any home runs. All I'm getting is, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases. I think you could get that 15 plus stolen bases, but with enough pop where you're not hurting yourself in a different category. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to John Gray. Uh, Gray had a disastrous year last year. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, it's one of those things where people are like, well, they were able to overlook Coors in 2019 because he actually pitched better at home than he did on the road. Uh, last year was just awful for him to the point where they there was talk that they were going to non-tender him, which would have been like the best thing for him in his career, right? <laughs> like oh, yeah. He could have gotten out of Coors. Um, but he started off uh, fantastically. Both of his starts at home in Coors – uh, he's gone. He went five innings, only gave up one run against the Dodgers, struck out seven. Went six and two thirds against the Diamondbacks, only gave up one run, struck out five. Uh, is this John Gray resurgence or just an early start to the season hot streak? Yeah, I was saying it right here on my notes. The first thing I wrote by John Gray's name is who knows because I don't know. Um, I, he's had. I mean. It's like an every other year thing. He has a, he comes out one year. We see like a mid three year RA. We're going. This is the year John Gray is becoming a pitcher. And then the next year he comes and throws like a six ERA. And we do this every year. It feels like um, pitching in cores obviously sucks. His uh, he has meh velo movement meh, and I really don't see him much more than a streamer. I I think you stream him for the good matchups and then. If he's playing at home or if he's playing against like someone like the Dodgers, just don't pitch him. Um, but yeah, that's really all I see John Gray as. Oh man, I want to believe. I do. I, I want to believe that um, he can be an effective starting pitcher. The hard part is when are you going to start him? Like I know he's like been at times better at home than uh, he is on the road. But like, do you ever feel comfortable starting a pitcher? in cores because i don't like even like you know i had kershaw like you know first you know game of the season uh for him in in course and i'm like i have to start him because he was my second or third round pick but I, I i'm scared like so like when am i ever gonna feel comfortable with john gray i think he yeah i think you're right i think you're streaming him good matchups uh especially on the road um but i don't i wouldn't be afraid of him at home necessarily in a good matchup I'm pretty much, you know, if, if Arizona's coming to town like they did this last week, like, I don't mind rolling them out there, especially if I feel like the rest of my ratios on my team are pretty comfortable. Um, but it's a risk because it, he's a Rockies pitcher and he's been volatile just kind of, you know, on his own. So, all right. We're going to finish up here uh, with uh, Jed Lowry. Jed Lowry he's finally healthy and playing. Do we care? Oh, I care a lot. Jed Lowry was one of, when I first started writing about fantasy baseball, he's one of the first guys I wrote about. Because, and I got, I put in some fab bids. Um, as you would say, keep them on as fab bids for him at like $9 or something this week. Um, he's a guy, you look at the page, you look at his page and you say, well, all of his stats are meh. Well, a major league player that has all like average to above average stats makes for a complete player a pretty good player overall if he's he doesn't strike out much he's able to take walks he hits the ball harder than people probably think he hits the ball in the air all the things you want to see from people he does it's just he doesn't have one flashy tool so he's a guy that can be a 260 hitter and put up 20 home runs which is from the second base position even pretty good um so he's someone that i'm really excited about if he's healthy I'm excited he's back on the A's, and I'm really excited to see what he can do. 
Yeah, I hate to say it, but I kind of agree with you. Uh, especially because right now he's playing pretty much every day uh, and hitting third in this lineup. And it's not necessarily a bad lineup to hit third in. So uh, I kind of agree. I'm not going to go overboard, but I, I think especially in deeper formats, you know, he could at worst be a compiler um, hitting in a pretty good spot in this lineup. So I agree. Yeah. All right. That's going to wrap us up. Joe, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was like a dream come true to me. been listening to this for, I guess, the past, what, three, four years. So I'm excited to get to come on. Remind everybody where you can reach on social media and then plug everything you do. Uh, so you can reach me on Twitter at JoeGentileFT. Um, I write for SB Nation's fake teams. And as I said, hopefully we'll have that podcast up here in the next month. Well, definitely let me know when you do. I'll, I'll tweet it out for you because uh, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk. Uh, uh, somewhat regularly uh, and always enjoy chatting with you on Twitter uh, and I really appreciate you coming on you killed it man I appreciate you having me thanks uh, that will wrap it up for Joe and I uh, thank you for listening and I will be back on Tuesday hopefully with a healthy Paul Sporer <laughs>